It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You, and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. This is a world of possibilities. A world in which people who put their minds to something can really make a difference. My goal is to help the environment. Someday I'll find a cure for cancer. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we believe that aspiring minds can achieve anything. So we dedicate ourselves to making sure everyone has an opportunity to go to college. Each year, we provide more than $150 billion in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about Money for College at studentaid.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and welcome to Gina Gardner and Friends. I met a very incredible young man when I was on a recent trip to America and we fast became friends and I've invited him to be on the show because I believe he has a story of that's all about resilience and making the most of life. This young man is Casey Cross. Casey, a huge welcome. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. Yes, good. Thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm humbled by the invitation and and delighted to have you as a friend. Oh, thank you. It's really very special to me. So I'd like to ask you, what's your story? Take us through how you have come to this place, because I know I met you as a coach driver, an amazing one, I have to say, and you not only were our coach driver, but you took over the responsibility of being our tour guide. <laughs> story. But you're just about to embark upon a teaching career, having passed your master's degree from Boise University uh, yeah. in teaching. And maybe that's why we got on so well, because my background is education. So you weren't always this amazing model um, of society where you talk us through your story. Oh, yeah, oh, great. So, yeah, thank you so much. It's been an interesting trip. It's probably one for I'll remember for the rest of my life, really, <laughs> uh, for lots of reasons of gaining friendships and things from other continents and whatnot uh, around the world. But uh, no, so my story, like growing up when I was a kid in my youth, is even as young as uh, like 10, 11 years old. Um, I wasn't the poster child of what you would want your son or daughter to be uh, going to school as. When I reached the uh, grade in middle school, and I remember specifically in sixth grade, there was not a week that went by that I did not serve some sort of detention, uh, whether it be a lunch detention, after school detention, 
uh, facing possible suspensions and uh, and things like that. Uh, I will add, I never served on a Saturday. I don't know why, but I've never got <laughs> that discipline. But well, I'm um, going to shock you because for people in the UK, they won't understand the significance of serving a Saturday. So talk oh, okay. about how that operates. Yeah, so Saturday, they called it Saturday school. So you would go into school as if it was a typical day, but you'd be isolated to one classroom with other students that also did something that they misbehaved in uh, during that week or whatever. And, and sometimes depending on the severity of what you did, you had to serve you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of Saturdays. And it was always an inconvenience because, you know, usually always got grounded at home, things like that. Your parents were inconvenienced as well because they'd have to bring you in. There was no busing services uh, that would provide you a way to Saturday school. So um, the punishment was quite severe, I think, in some families too, but that's a different topic. Um, but nonetheless, if it was more reserved for those that, um, committed like a more grievous mis, um, misdeed or, or behavior. So you were, you were naughty, but yeah. you weren't really naughty. Yeah. I mean, some of the things I would, looking back, I'd be like, I'm surprised I never got the Saturday school thing. Uh, like the one example I was really scared that I actually was going to get in some serious trouble was I wrote a, with my pencil on the school desk, that this particular teacher, who was my science teacher, I said, Miss so-and-so is a B-word. Oh, dear. Right. And I thought I erased it before I left class. <laughs> oh, I just but I didn't. <laughs> so, okay, we've, we've set the scene. You're a naughty kid at school. You weren't doing particularly well. So what mm -hmm. next? Yeah, so what next would happen is... Um, I had a father, I would consider him as a father figure. He was always there. He dated my mom for a long time. Um, they never got married or anything like that, but the, he was in my life from the time I remember about one years old or so um, until he passed away in uh, early spring of, or late winter of 2017. Uh, he's always been in my life. He, you could argue that he was a father figure to me. He never gave up on me. He always was patient with me. He never ridiculed me. He never um, came at with came at me with what many would probably deserve with malice or anything or with a huge upset. He always just talked to me, try to get my point of view, and. Uh, I had a, a difficulty with like depression and things as a youth that I later found out. Um, I never thought I would ever amount to anything. And so my life was just worthless. And I just, you know, I had an excuse to do all the things, bad things that would never amount to anything. So it was with him, with his uh, patience and love and, and uh, determination to not give up on me. And also my newfound faith um, in going to church uh, that my father um, would argue and has told me multiple times that had it not been for that religion coming into my life, that uh, he goes, I had very low hopes of you ever succeeding and, and doing good in life. Uh, but he said, as soon as I met that religion, that my life had quickly changed and turned around and, and became a positive. That's, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? If you have somebody who believes in you, 
what a difference that can make, even when you don't believe in you. Yeah. I want to just go back a bit because I believe that your mum died when you were quite young. Yeah, she did. So uh, ever since that time, like, I'll just say one thing more about Charlie as his name, the father figure. I remember I was refusing to get out of bed one morning and I laid there in bed and he came and sat next to me on my bed and said, and I'll always remember it. I don't know why, but it just stuck with me. He said, you know, you're in control of your own life. You can do whatever you like. You can even become president of the United States, but you have to get out of bed and work hard. And then that always stuck to me. But then as my life got on and I you know, grew up, got through high school, graduated in the top 10% of the high school, uh, which was a small high school. So I wasn't up against like a thousand students nonetheless, but I was able to turn it around. Um, and with that love and things like that. But yeah, one of my things that I had to overcome was that was with my mom. My mom passed away when I was only 22 years old. Uh, my mom was only 50. She was healthy, active. She was a smoker. Uh, she drank coffee, um, things like that. But they attributed her smoking to her, her uh, premature death. Uh, she died of either a pulmonary embolism or just cardiac arrest. Uh, pulmonary embolism, for those that might not know, is when a blood clot breaks off and goes to your lung and it causes a, a massive heart attack. Um, I never thought in a million years that I'd lose my mom at such a young age, and especially with how healthy as she was, active, eating right, and things like that. But uh, I was faced with the choice um, whether or not I was going to use that misfortune to have self-pity or was I going to live, continue to live a life that I know my mom would be proud of? Um, and so that's what I was faced with. Sure, I spent the first few weeks, arguably maybe a month, really sad, depressed, upset, furious, um, you know, the whole, I don't know how many stages of grief, um, but I went through them all and a lot of, some of them took a long time. I had every excuse to give up. Um, I, Charlie had passed away four years later, complications of Parkinson's and dementia and, and things like that. Uh, and then that one too was a, a hard one to give up as well. You know, bereavement is something that uh, I've got lots of experience of, and particularly when you lose someone very young. My brother suddenly dropped dead at the age of 49, um, mm. out on a cycle ride, um, ride um, practicing to do the London to Brighton cycle race. And paradoxically, he was due to cycle to support um, the British Heart Foundation. And it was a heart condition, congenital. He had no idea that he'd got it. Uh, but apparently it's one of the most common reasons for uh, people dying suddenly uh, without mm. previous uh, problems. So, and I've, I've lost parents and I've lost a nephew. And I do recognise that grief gives you a gift. And I know many people listening to this would think that's a very strange thing to say, yeah. gives you a gift. But ultimately, for me, what it did is gave me an opportunity to say, I have this life and I want to make the most of it. And mm -hmm. my health and relationships are what's important. And so I choose to make the most of it. And yeah. it and it sounds as if you did the same. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's interesting that you mentioned that too with the, in regards to like having a healthy relationship and, and things like that. 
um, the one part that really uh, took a toll on me was that the week prior to her passing away, um, we kind of had a little small argument or rift uh, in our relationship. Uh, Charlie had fallen and I was living with him at the time and Charlie had fallen and I didn't know if he was gonna make it. Uh, he fell and broke his ribs, he was in the hospital, um, felt pneumonia and a whole array of issues. And so I went to my mother and I was like, mom, you know, I might not have anywhere to go if he were to pass away. And I'm going to school and, and at that time would be four months. Is it possible I can return home for four months before going to, off to school to Eastern Idaho, which was about a five hour drive. And she told me, no. She said, I'm sorry, son, you can't stay here. Furious as I was, thinking that my own mother had denied me. But not knowing what at the, in the moment why she had said no, because as I told you in our personal conversation that I grew up very poor. And so my mother was stuck in the in the system of, of government welfare. And one of the stipulations is if you have the welfare, you cannot have guests over for longer than a two week period. OK, so we're going to make a break there and we're going to come back to this because I think many people listening to this may either be very familiar with this sort of, of situation or it's okay. something that they're so unfamiliar with that they need to know. So please okay. don't go away. We're going to come back and hear more of Casey's story and also what is making of his life now. So we'll see you in a minute. Are you or a loved one struggling with addiction? Rancho Milagro Recovery is an accredited drug and alcohol addiction recovery program treating the whole person through their lifelong recovery process. Our process incorporates both medication-assisted treatment and psychological therapy to help all aspects of an individual's mind, body, and spirit. Our lavish accommodation sits on 60 acres of outdoor greatness where your privacy and discretion is our utmost concern. Find lasting recovery and walk away from addiction one step at a time. RanchoMilagroRecovery.com Welcome back. Casey, before the break, we left at what is a very poignant part of your story when you'd asked your mum if you could go and stay there for four months until you went off to, to stay at school some distance away. Mm -hmm. But because of the system, she wasn't able to help you. And you mentioned that you felt furious. It must have been really difficult at that time to feel that you had no, nowhere to go. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, furious as I was, I, I stormed out of the apartment. Uh, my mom lived in an apartment at that time. She had downsized. And since all of us kids were gone, you know, it's just her. Um, and so we, I remember standing up from the kitchen table, storming to the door and my mom saying to me, son, I, 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 there's nothing I can do. And then I said, you know, I, you could have offered me somewhere to stay. If something were to happen, I don't even know. She said, I'm sorry, and I love you. And I walked, I walked the door or walked out the door and slammed it, and, and away I went. Um, and that was on a Sunday. So I usually always went to my mother's house on a Sunday afternoon after I had gone to church. I'd go with her or go and have dinner with her, visit with her about what, you know, what had gone on the week prior and what was planned on for the week for her and for me. And at that time, I worked on a farm, and so I went to work all that week. Um, and then that Friday, uh, she had passed away. Did you have a chance to talk to her before she passed away? I didn't talk to her all week because I let my pride and my furiousness harden my heart in the moment. I, I, not understanding what I 
do now. Uh, my mom was a very much a rule follower. Uh, she freaked out if she sped only one mile over the speed limit. <laughs> and she was always a rule follower. And that contract says no guests longer than two weeks. And by golly, she was going to stick to it. Right or wrong, you know, it's, it's nonetheless, it's, you know, personally, if it was me and my kid, I would hide them. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, I've worked with many clients who are struggling with the aftermath of similar situations. The reason for the argument might be different, but mm -hmm. having an argument with someone and then um, something happening and there being no opportunity face to face to have that conversation. How have you managed to create a way forward from that situation in terms of the relationship with your mum? Yeah. So, of course, in my faith, we believe that there's an afterlife. We're going to be together as family forever into the eternities. And so I'm comforted, one, by that. Uh, but what do I do in these however many years I have left? Hopefully at least 60, I'd, I'd like to hope. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, how many more years do I have and, and to live with that? Um, it took me a number of years, but I finally um, found a therapist and a counselor to be able to talk to and to share these um, experiences with just much as uh, we are talking right now. Um, and the one thing that he really expressed to me was that uh, I was what I was doing to myself was what he called inappropriate guilt. Because I had also believed that maybe I had caused stress in my mom's life that week to where I might have caused her to have a heart attack. Again, looking back, it's inappropriate guilt. She, you know, had health, some health issues and she had a smoking habit that uh, controlled her life and things like that. Um, so I was able to get on with that. Um, other experiences that I've had were just tender mercies of, of being able to have some sort of like spiritual experience where I felt my mom's presence. I mean, obviously not see or talk to her like you and I are today, but to be able to have that comfort and for her to kind of hear her voice just say, you know, it's, it's okay. And uh, I forgive you and, and forgive yourself is kind of what I felt. You know, it's interesting because your last mum words to your mum, I think, were very telling. Her last words to you is, I love you. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, if you come from a place of love, then forgiveness is something that's easy. Yeah. Um, it's my belief, you know, that even when people pass on, that we can hear them. And one of the things that I found comforting and I want to share with our listeners is if you imagine the radio. Now, I'm going to talk about English stations or, in fact, you know, the um, AMFM 24-7 station. If you're tuned into that, what you hear are the radio uh, programs that are on that particular radio station. Mm -hmm. If you tune to BBC radio, you'll hear what's on that frequency. So for me, recognizing that my parents, my brother, the people that I love who, who've died are still available on a frequency that I can't actually tune into physically, but I can certainly tune into their voice and know pretty well what they would say in any given circumstance. 
And so I imagine myself tuning in to that particular station, the station of my mom or the station of my dad, the station yeah. of my brother, and tuning in and thinking, what are they saying to me? Because I know them so well, I pretty well know what they're going to say. But I recognise that time's moving on. So there you are. You've worked on, on dealing with the issue with your mum. Uh, when it happened, you were working on a farm, but now you're about to start teaching and you've been a great coach driver. So how did you move from one thing to the other? Um, so what I've done is part of what I think would help develop me in, in, in those uh, tragic times was patience, forgiveness, and time. Uh, those three things. Um, so what I do is, as I meet people, I always act like I'm more interested in them and their story and building a friendship with them. Um, and so that has really gotten me to where I am. Um, what I have done in the past is been more selfish um, and things like that. But but going forward, I. I've used like the friendships and relationships that I have to move on past, you know, my misfortunes and then to find people that have similar situations with me. Um, and so what I did is I, I used my relationships that I had to navigate from farmer, farm worker to bus driver to wanting to not just fall into places, but to be able to go into things that I feel that are more rewarding. And the reason I wanted to go into teaching was I've had so many things that have been promised to me from different employers that never have happened. And I said, you know what, instead of falling victim to these things and saying, poor me, I'm just going to go backwards. I said, I'm going to make a life for myself and make a decision that is going to not only benefit me and and uh, but benefit others as well and helping them and so that's when I developed my love for teaching is because I want to be able to find people that are um, maybe struggling maybe doing those types of things of in the youth and be able to help them and to push them or not to push them but to pull them rather um, into a life of success and into a life of yeah, life's going to give you some misgivings and, and misfortunes, rather, and but you can be able to grow from those. It's a great place for us to stop for another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you're hopeful about for the future and what sort of teacher you want to be. So don't go away. With the timeless protection of ADT, it's safe to say... Hey, Google, unlock the front door. When you've helped save more lives than any other home security brand, it's safe to say... There's a reason millions of people trust ADT to help protect what matters most. As an Olympic athlete, I prepare for everything. So when I became pregnant, I thought I was ready. But at 32 weeks, I was diagnosed with severe preeclampsia and had an emergency C-section. Looking back, had I known the warning signs, I would have talked to my doctor sooner. Too many women die of pregnancy-related complications, and most are preventable. If you or someone you know is pregnant or recently had a baby, Learn the warning signs. It could help save her life. Hear her. So Casey, you've signed the contract. You've got a new job starting very soon as a teacher. What sort of teacher are you going to be? 
I'm glad you asked. So the sort of teacher I'm going to be, I've had mentors and, and uh, cooperating teachers. I've been able to learn from both sides. One that I know I do not want to be like at all. And one, I was able to get a lot of stuff that I'd like to use. Um, but nonetheless, what my whole motive before I even decided to start teaching was I was not necessarily going to be like labeled as a friend to my students, but to be able to be a mentor, be able to be um, somebody that they can rely on and to trust. Um, the other thing that I wanted to do was uh, very early on that I found is there's three things that two of them of which you don't want to be. For one, you don't want to necessarily help students because that means that they are incapable of being able to do it themselves. Um, the other one that I, the one that I think that I think that teachers should be and that I've strived to be is one of service. Because I do not find that students are not incapable of doing the things on their own. They can, uh, but sometimes we, they, we need a little bit of guidance. While you're thinking about that, I just want to explore that for a moment. And if you're a parent of a child um, or a teacher of a child, or you're a coach, or um, you are working with people in a, a, a therapeutic route, one of the things that I would say is all too often, in my belief, we help people to the point of learned helplessness. We help them so much that we don't allow them to actually go through the process of a bit of struggle sometimes, but stop struggle that's in a supported way that allows people to grow. Because if you think about the times that you develop and evolve, they're usually through times where you have had to struggle or work hard at something. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of parents who would say to me, you know, you expect too much from my child. And I'd say, just watch and see. And those same children would prove to their parents and to me and their teachers just what they are capable of. And I think having somebody who believes in you and says, do you know what? Of course you can do it. Here's a bit of help, here's a bit of guidance, but you are perfectly capable, I believe in you. And I think that's just as important for employers and managers and leaders of groups to have the confidence and faith in your people and let them know that you believe in them. Yeah, one story, if I if I have a quick second to share it, um, when I was doing my student teaching, there's one student that was always in trouble. He's a senior, he got held back one year and he would never do his work. And I can see why he got held back. I pulled him aside after one class and I said, what do we have to, what, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And he explained to me his some misfortunes and things like that. And I said, look, I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to, to help you because you're, you're capable of doing it yourself, but I'm here to serve you and to, and, and to listen to you and to understand that what you are able to do. And he was very influential around the kids that he sat with and going down that same path of not doing anything. Yep. I told him that he's a natural leader and it's up to him to decide if he wants to lead you know, to triumph or does he want to lead to dismay? And that was totally up to him. It's interesting, isn't it? How often when we give young people or whatever age people a choice and help hold the mirror up 
so that they mm-hmm. recognize that they have a choice, that people are enabled to make the right choice. And I hope that that young man was able to do so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'll never know. No. Well, we're nearing the end of this interview. If somebody has found that the things that you've spoken about have resonated and they want to talk to you about your approach and how you've overcome that adversity, where can they reach you? Yeah, so the uh, best way to reach me, of course, because I'm going to be moving and things like that and don't know where I'll end up, uh, always the best way to contact me will be my personal email address. Uh, so that will be my initials, KC9012 at hotmail.com. Could you just repeat that in case people didn't hear it the first time? Sure, it's uh, KC, my initials for KC Cross, 9012 at hotmail.com. Lovely. Casey, it just remains for me to say a huge thank you for sharing your story. I think you're a remarkable uh, individual. And I know that the children who are going to uh, be working with you are going to be very, very lucky. Thank you kindly. And I, I hope I can touch as many children, half as many children in a positive way that you have been able to over the years, Gina. Thank you so much. It means a lot. It's been my pleasure. If you're listening, then please do spread the word about the show. If you're in business and you'd like to know more about B1G1, or you'd like to tell me what you think of the show or make suggestions for the show, then please email me at Gina, G-I-N-A, at genuinely, G-E-N-U-I-N-E-L-Y, hyphen and the word you, Y-O-U. You can find me uh, on the website, Genuinely Hyphen You, and all of the books on Amazon. But please do join us on the next show. Take care, and thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at Gina at genuinely-u.com.